Uh, one of the movies that comes around this time of year is Home Alone. Uh, do you remember it starring the cute Macaulay Culkin, his crazy family leave him behind in a rush to make it to the airport for their Christmas holiday? He's left at home where he has all sorts of adventures on his own. Uh, it's a movie that reminds me of what happens here with the boy Jesus. Uh, this is the only story in any of the Gospels from Jesus' childhood. Mark, the Gospels of Mark and John, they begin with Jesus as an adult. Matthew jumps straight from him being a baby to being an adult. But Luke chose to include this one event from his childhood. And his reason is to teach us more about Jesus. Especially, I think, about his father and his home. But not his earthly father or his earthly home. You see, Jesus, even at this young age, realises that he has another father, a heavenly father. And it's his family business that he is going to follow in. Right back in chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells uh, Luke, the author, tells us that he's carefully investigated. Ah, there we are. No, oh, I've done something wrong. Ah, oh, there we are. Beautiful. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 3. Luke tells us that he's carefully investigated all the events that he's included in his history. Now, that prob probably means he spent time talking to Mary... We're told at the end of today's story, verse 50, that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. So when Luke comes along years later doing research for his biography, this is probably one of the stories that Mary tells him. She probably also told uh, Luke about her angel visit. Uh, Luke records that in chapter 1, verse 26. And one of the extraordinary things the angel said to Mary, verse 32, is that her baby will be called the Son of the Most High. Not just Mary's son, but God's son. I think it's likely Mary told Jesus about that as well as he grew up. However it happened, by the time Jesus is 12, he knows that God is his father in a very special way, a way that's different from how other Jews think about God. They would call God our Father in the sense that he was the father of every Jew or that God was the father of the whole nation. But there was little understanding, from what we can tell, of a personal relationship for Jews with God as their father. But Jesus, at the age of 12, calls God my Father in a way that's personal and intimate. Now, Mary has stored this particular story about Jesus away in her heart. Because of what it says, I think, about his identity and about his mission, about who he is and about why he's come. And so Luke includes it for us, so that we would know the certainty of the things that we've been taught. Especially the incredible truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is both God and man. So... Verse 41, let's jump into the story. It begins with a family uh, when they head off to Jerusalem for the Passover. They do it every year, from what we can tell. It's a regular family holy day. Uh, they're part of a group. Uh, relatives and neighbours, pilgrims, who all travel from Nazareth in the north, south to Jerusalem. They travel for company, they travel for safety. 
Uh, they arrive at the temple, they celebrate the feast, and at the end of the, uh, of the festival, uh, as the group packs up, as the group packs up, they all head out of town. Well, not quite everyone. Uh, the women and the children are at one end of the convoy. The men and the older boys travel at the other end. And so Jesus, at 12, well, he could be with either. <laughs> uh, which seems to be what both Mary and Joseph assume. But the reality is he's with neither. He's been left behind, just like the movie. And they only realise it when they stop for the evening. They ask the relatives, they ask their neighbours, but no one's seen him. Any parent who's lost a child knows that sinking feeling. <laughs> so the next morning they travel back the way they've come and they stay the night in Jerusalem, again. No doubt, worried the whole time. The third day, bright and early, they start looking. Uh, now, my mother always said to me when I'd lost something, which growing up I did quite a lot, where do you last remember seeing it? It's good advice, isn't it? Uh, Mary and Joseph, they head back to the temple where they'd celebrated the Passover, where they'd last seen Jesus, and that's where they find him. Uh, one commentator says, the holy family left the holiest part of the family back at the Holy of Holies. And when they find Jesus, like most parents, they're equal parts relieved and upset. Uh, to be honest, verse 48 sounds more like they're more on the upset side. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We've been worried sick. They've travelled halfway across Judah. And when they finally find Jesus, he's sitting among the teachers of the law, discussing the scriptures, making himself right at home, as if nothing's happened. They're not the only ones astonished, because Jesus is just listening and asking questions, which maybe you'd expect of a 12-year-old, but he's not just doing that, he's answering questions too, verse 47. And everyone who hears his answers is amazed at his understanding. He has wisdom beyond his years. Which is not surprising when we remember what God had promised about the Messiah through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. God is promising that he would give his spirit to his promised king so that his king would have wisdom and understanding in a special way. And that's exactly what Jesus is showing, even at 12. In the temple, in God's house, learning even more from the experts in the law. And as Jesus answers his parents, we find out why. They're his first recorded words which makes them fairly significant. Here is his answer. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now Mary had said, your father and I have been looking for you. But Jesus replies that he has another father. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
two fathers, but very different from any other sort of complicated stepfamily. We know the background already if we've been reading Luke, the angel visit to Mary, the promise of a baby, even though she's a virgin. The Holy Spirit himself would come upon her and she would be with child. In a unique way, God would be his father, beyond anything we can understand. Over in chapter 3, Luke refers to that parentage. He traces Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Abraham, in that, uh, back to Adam in that chapter. And he begins verse 23 with his father. Well, well, one of his fathers anyway. And he describes Jesus in this way. Jesus, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Two fathers, an earthly father who's looking for Jesus and a heavenly father who Jesus is looking to learn about. Now, here in this simple story, we have the central truth of Christianity. This is the defining truth of Christianity, I suggest. That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, eternal and omnipotent, became a human being, was born of a human mother and adopted by a human father. I suggest that you can deny all sorts of truths about the Christian faith and still be a Christian. But if you deny this truth, then you are no longer Christian. It's this truth that separates mainstream Christianity from sects and cults and other religions. No matter what they might say about his teaching, whether they follow his teaching, whether they revere his life. This may seem like a fairly insignificant story, but it teaches about who Jesus is. Not just what he looked like or how he acted, but who he was, the core of his identity, fully God and fully man. So Jesus says, verse 49, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It should have been obvious. I'm my father's son. It's necessary to be doing his things. Don't be surprised to find me in the temple learning about him. But even then, verse 50, his parents don't understand what he's saying. Now, it probably doesn't help, I think, that uh, verse 49, it's not quite as clear in our translation uh, as our translation suggests. A more literal translation of what Jesus says is something like, don't you know that I must be in the things of my father? Don't you know I must be in the things of my father? What what does that mean? It, It could mean in my father's house, in my father's place, but... I think it's probably more general. I must be about my father's business. Now that's actually how the King James Version of the Bible translates this phrase. I must be about my father's business. It means more than just Jesus has to be in a certain place, but he has to be immersed in the things of his father, in his plans, in his purposes. His character, his ways of doing things, his whole life has to be governed by these things of his father. And so that means his job at the moment, 12 years old, has to be learning more about what his father's business is. He's in the right place. And so verse 51, the family heads home again. This time with Mary and Joseph, I'm sure, keeping a much closer eye on Jesus. 
especially as they try to understand what it means for Jesus to be in the things of his Father. In verse 51 we read, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. She stored them away as precious memories. She did the same thing back when the shepherds had visited the baby Jesus back in Bethlehem. They told... The shepherds had told them all about the angels singing songs of praise to God for her baby boy. And we read in chapter 2, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, Mary's not treasuring the memories like a family photo album. I think it's more like pieces of a puzzle. A puzzle that you can't solve on one attempt. And so every so often as the years go by, she will bring these memories out again and think more about them and try to fit the pieces together and try to understand who this little boy is that she's raising. This little boy who is the son of Joseph, so it was thought, and the son of the Most High, God's son. A little boy who's learning to be God's agent, doing God's business. Now this is the question Luke wants us to ask, to treasure these things in our heart and to ask the question, who is this Jesus? Come to bring salvation, come to reign. And in particular, who is this Jesus who is so full of the spirit of wisdom and understanding? This Jesus, who even as a boy spoke about God as if he knew him personally. Because that's someone it's really worth knowing, isn't it? Someone worth listening to, someone who knows God personally. Here is someone who gets living the human life right. Someone who lives well because he gets God right. He knows personally the God who made us, understands his purposes and his perspective and his priorities. Do you notice how this section finishes? They went home to Nazareth and Jesus was obedient to his parents. He was God's son who has existed from all eternity but now born into human flesh and he submits to his parents. He's rightly connected to his heavenly father, but also rightly connected to his human parents as well. Verse 52, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Now there was a balance about his life. You see, living the human life well, living well your life here, is about being connected horizontally to your fellow man, and connected vertically to your God. That was Jesus. Both directions are important. We can learn from Jesus how to live wisely and live well, how to know and relate to God and people. We've had the opportunity over the last three weeks to hear from Jeremy Ward from Proverbs about, uh, as it teaches us how to live wisely, that we've heard God's instructions how to live wisely, how to live in the fear of the Lord. But I want to suggest that this is even better. 
Because it's not just God's instructions we're hearing to obey. This is actually God's example for us to follow. God is not just telling us, he is showing us how to live. Now this is wisdom we need especially at the moment, isn't it? 2024. The world is full of confusion and fear. Wars with no end in sight. Global pandemics. Rising interest rates. Mortgage stress. Crippling cost of living. Climate change. Growing helplessness. Greater immorality and pride in our society. Refusal to listen to God and his wisdom. We need wisdom from God more than ever. Australians feel hopeless and helpless in the face of it. I believe they want answers. They want wisdom. They want to know how to live life well and successfully with purpose and insight and perspective. And so Luke introduces us to someone who, as the unique son of God, has God's spirit of wisdom and understanding. Someone who lives life well and then calls us to follow him. Even at 12, Jesus lives life well, answering questions from people decades older. But look at how Luke goes on to describe him in the chapters that follow chapter 2. In chapter 4, he's now a grown man. He resists temptation in the wilderness. He lives by the word of God and worships God alone. That's wisdom. In chapter 5, he calls disciples to follow him and then teaches them new priorities, gives them a new heavenly agenda. He says, you will catch men, not fish. In chapter 6, he reveals to them a new reality about a different kingdom, God's kingdom. And he teaches that the poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is theirs. And that when people curse you because of Jesus, you're actually blessed because your reward is great in heaven. Now that is wisdom that puts the things of this life into perspective when the future is unsure. Employment or climate or interest rates. Now that is wisdom for living. In chapter 6, verse 35, he teaches, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Now that's wisdom that we need in the face of, of fear, death, hatred. Love your enemies. Jesus had been teaching that wisdom for decades since he was a boy. He'd been growing in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. He continues in 635, those who follow his, uh, those who follow his wisdom, uh, who love their enemies, he says... Do that, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Did you catch what he said? Love your enemies, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Do you remember who else was a son of the Most High? It was Jesus. It's what the angel said to Mary. It's what Jesus himself understood as a 12-year-old. He was a son of doing his father's business. But here Jesus is saying that we too become God's sons. Whether you're male or female, you're a son in that you follow your father. 
follow in his footsteps. We are God's sons when we follow the wisdom of his unique son. We bear a family resemblance. We imitate our father when we love our enemies. You can see that's Jesus' point because of how he goes on. You will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now, loving enemies is what our Heavenly Father does every day to people who don't deserve it, to people who ignore him, to people who live in rebellion and independence from him, people who decide their own morality. He gives them life and health. He gives them children and shelter and food and jobs and peace. He sends rain and sun on them. He sends all of those things to his enemies as well as to his children. Theologians call it common grace. And Jesus is saying that wise people do the same. They love their enemies. And so when death and terror and anxiety rattle us, uh, God's children choose to love instead. When the temptation is to hate or fear, they choose to love. When uncertainty and fear unsettle us, wise people point their friends and their neighbours and their work colleagues to God's wise son, Jesus. Jesus, who had an eternal perspective on, on wealth and family and climate and employment. Jesus has answers for life and answers for death, answers for how to make life work. So that life can be rich and real and right. Answers for how to live without fear and worry. How to live content and blessed. Wise people follow God's wise son, Jesus. To make this year, 2024, a year where you focus more on listening to him and less on listening to what the world says. Uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we watch Jesus, help us to love him, to listen to him, to follow him, and to become like him so that he might receive the praise and the glory. Amen.